0: If you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Quirology, a
1: podcast on belief and being. This is episode 52. And I think that's something that happens in the church a lot, is there's this belief that like we need to train men to be good men. We need to train women to be good women. I was like, why don't we just train people to be decent people?
0: Y'all, this is a special episode because my best friend is on the podcast today, Uh, I went to Denver over the weekend for Denver Pride and hung out with my friend Jeremiah, a bunch of my other friends there in Denver, and over the course of the weekend, uh, decided to sit down with Jeremiah and record an episode. Uh, So Jeremiah Stanley uh, is a creative director, a social media lurker. Uh, and he is currently running away from his childhood calling by refusing to go to seminary uh in this episode, we talk about Jeremiah's experience working in the campus ministry, the navigators uh and kind of what that experience was like was like as he realized he was gay um and then started the process of coming out um and and kind of what happened. <laughs> when he started to reconcile his faith and his sexuality. Um before we dive into all of that, a couple things. Uh first, like I've been saying for the last several weeks, uh we are recording the first ever live episode of Chorology at Wild Goose Festival this year. If you want to join in on that fun and come to Wild Goose Festival, it is July 12th through 15th in Hot Springs, North Carolina. Uh, All of the information for that is over at wildgoosefestival.org. And you can use the code GooseCast18 to get 25% off your registration. Uh, Also, at the end of July, I'm going to be keynoting Spirit Pride uh, in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Uh, That's going to be happening the last weekend of July, uh, the 27th through 29th. Uh, My keynote's on Saturday morning. Uh, And then I just found out that Sunday, so the 29th, uh, I'm going to be taking a ferry over to Victoria, B.C., uh, and participating in Spirit Pride Victoria that evening. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. I'm joining Jennifer Knapp uh, at both of those conferences. We're gonna, we're doing some panels together. Uh, Jennifer's doing some performances. Uh, it's just going to be a great time all around. You can find out all of the details over at spiritpride.org or spiritpridevictoria.org. Tickets and, and everything are available there. Uh, let's just go ahead and dive in. Jeremiah, hi.
1: Hey. Hey.
0: We're, like, face-to-face. We are. (laughs) (laughs) You're
1: in your bedroom. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, so, usually you're in a closet, so, like, we've successfully, like, you know, we've come out of the closet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And
1: we're now in the bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, the next logical step, I suppose. (laughs) Maybe we'll venture out into the world someday, but for now... (laughs)
0: uh so we're here in denver uh we've just had an incredible pride weekend like been so good yes um yeah so so to start like the question i ask everyone um how do you identify and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity
1: yeah so i mean i feel like identities always stack on top of each other and i think that's where we get this idea of intersectionality right so you know first and foremost i'd say i do identify as a man um cisgender um, I identify as gay, um, kind of, but under the uh, kind of umbrella of being queer, I identify as mixed race. But to go along with that, I, I am cognizant that I am a mixed race person who is white passing. Um, and I would identify as a Christian with kind of some, maybe what some people would call significant caveats. Mm. Um, and I think my faith has informed my identities in so many of the ways that I have experience those different layers of myself and kind of how I've connected to those different pieces of my identity as I've matured as a person. Mm. And those have been in kind of very different ways as I've kind of plunged the depths of which each of those identifies or which of those identities has really connected to who I am and how I experience myself, which I think, you know, probably will be a lifelong process, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's been something that I've constantly kind of seen. And, you know, I think we all have moments where we connect pieces of who we know ourselves to be now with experiences we had as children. And we're like, Oh, right. That was so meaningful and ties back into something. I can see myself really clearly now that I kind of wasn't connected to or kind of, um, buried under the guise of building another identity.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you like you you kind of grew up in the church, right?
1: Um, absolutely. Yeah. So my my parents were very instrumental in founding a church that I grew up in. Like you, you talk about, like parents who like literally built the churches that they were in. Like my father, like nailed shingles to the steeple on the church I grew up in. Um, you know, a small non-denominational church, which we all know what that means. It, like, means Southern Baptist, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so real. <laughs> so,
1: you know, I grew up in the church and, um, you know, a church that was started in, like, um a family, friends, like this elderly woman's basement with this whole kind of concept of elders and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I've been in the church for as long as I can remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led you into... Like, I think some of what we're going to talk about today is kind of, like, you then went into, like, campus ministry.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, this is something, like, we talk about. Or I think there's a lot of things we talk about, like, when we talk about queer people of faith, I think what a lot of drives, at least me, is we have been socialized to want all of these things that the evangelical church prizes. So, we talk about, like, marriage and family, like you know, for better or worse, those are held up in, in, in high regard. And I would probably say even idolatry in the evangelical church, like Mm. you are socialized from a young age to want to be married and to have kids. So like, I remember for years, like there was this like consistent belief that my mother and other people put on me that I was like born to be a pastor Spoiler alert! I'm not, but <laughs> like that was something that like was constantly fed to me. Um, so I think when there was like kind of a, I'm gonna say an adjacent and then, like <laughs> uh, uh, venture that kind of felt like it transferred to who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh well, maybe that's what that meant. Like it was a way for me to kind of shift focus from something that never felt right, but was constantly spoken over to me to be something like. I can do this. This is something I can do. And maybe this is what it was supposed to be all along. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe like, maybe backing up a little bit, like when, before we like dive into all of that, yeah. like when did you realize you were gay? And like, what was that process like?
1: You know, I like, that's such a hard question for me to answer. Cause I could say like, there were these signs, like the goalposts were there as early as like 10. hmm and even going back further, like, the way as a child, like, I mess with my gender presentation and gender expression and all of those things, like, like you're like, you had to have known, right? <laughs> like, like it was written on the wall in, like, red lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, like, I, I'd say that it like took me until, like, I was probably 18 years old actually, like, verbally say the words that I was gay to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause that compartmentalization was like so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time it was something I was like at some level cognizant of since I like my early preteens.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're 18. Yeah. You're kind of saying I'm gay to myself for the first time you're going into college. You you don't go to a Christian college where you're super involved in this Christian ministry.
1: I mean, yeah, and that's the thing is like, so I didn't go to Christian college, but I went to college in Colorado Springs, which you think about like (laughs) the like center, like where we have these three massive cultural forces that kind of converge. So there's a giant military presence, which you know, in this sense, is like you know, more or less like hugely conservative. Um, And then when you talk about like Colorado Springs, is like home to over like. I don't, I think it's now like 150 Christian nonprofits are like headquartered there.
0: Including like Focus on the Family. Focus on
1: the Family, like New Life Church. Like, um, I think the American Center of Evangelical, um, or the Evangelical Alliance, I think is there. Mm. Like tons of organizations. And then like, there's also like this kind of um, old rural feel too. Like you think about like kind of frontier, like, you know, there's a big festival in Cox Springs called Frontier Days. So, like, it's kind of just this center where these forces all collide to make this really conservative place, like the Bible Belt of Colorado. As if it needed one, but it. I mean, it's there. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're so you're there. <laughs> so it's not technically a Christian college, college but I mean, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you're still in the thick of it. But yeah. And you join the Navigators. Yeah, and that was something. Like so. The Navigators, in case anyone's familiar, is an organization kind of similar to Campus Crusade. So, you know, very focused on evangelism. Um, Their specific thing that some people might be familiar with them is about, like, scripture memory. So, this whole idea, you know, one of the verses they cling on to is uh, Psalm 119, verses 9, like, I've hidden my word in your heart, so I might not sin against you. It's like this idea that we as navigators take the word of God so seriously that we go one step beyond like reading it and memorize er, and memorize it like so that it's just like there at a moment's notice mm-hmm. um and yeah i I joined the navigators my sister actually worked for them um my first year on campus so there was there was no escape like I it was i was I was done for I was goner mm-hmm. like yeah I went to the same school as my big sister. she worked for the navigators and it was just over as soon as I started <laughs> <laughs> but you're in
0: there like coming starting to come to terms with your sexuality
1: yeah like what well, i mean, what was that like like i I mean, it's really confusing um because I think there's like this tension that a lot of queer people wrestle with like we're told God doesn't make mistakes um. And we're told God is a healer. And then we're like, well, there's this thing wrong with me. And I'm, I'm waiting for this miracle to come and like fix me and it's not coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's also kind of this fractionated opinion in the church about like what that means. So, there's like this one camp that's like, you know what, you can be healed of these desires and Um, you can have a wife and a family and a a normal life. And I'm going to put normal in kind of air quotes there. And then there are others that kind of, you know, say, this is your reality, you know, and you need to be faithful to God in this reality. And that means you are going to live a celibate life. um, And your um, bride again, in quotes is going to be church and ministry and You know, I'm in the Navigators, which is highly focused on kind of discipleship and mentorship. So, I'm having these two mentors, two men that I, you know, unequivocally trusted feed me these same messages at the same time or these different messages at the same time. And that's entirely confusing and Mm -hmm. kind of unnerving to be like, well, which one is God's will? Mm -hmm. And then when you're put under these kind of organizations that highly prioritize kind of um, authority and obedience you're kind of stuck weighing like, well, my authority is telling me conflicting messages and I don't know which one to follow.
0: Mm. So you're being fed these two messages, one saying like you can change. Yeah, You can totally. have a wife, you can get married. Yeah, the of, exodus like, model. Right, the, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you were in exodus too. I, yeah, I was I in exodus. Story. So yeah. <laughs> maybe dive into that in a second. But like the exodus model. Yeah. And then there's the model of no, like I guess we would call it maybe the side B model. Yeah. Which is like... If you say celibate, or you have to say celibate, like celib- celibacy is mandated.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something we kind of get caught up in in that sort of conversation is the way they kind of the way a lot of these organizations get around that caveat of like mandated celibacy, as they say, you should be open to the possibility that God could bring a person into your life, a woman, I should say, a woman in your life who could open these feelings of heterosexuality for you Um, instead of saying it's a mandate is being like, you can be faithful in the waiting. Even if you know you're waiting for a train that in in some senses is never coming. Mm -hmm. Like you're just on abandoned tracks. You're out there. No one's coming for you, but like you're still being faithful for waiting for something that could, could come.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean that whole kind of like, I, like, there's just so much messaging coming to me because I grew up in this too. Just, it's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, but that, like, this is, it's like, it's the cross to bear, you're yeah. open, like, yeah. waiting for God to work a miracle.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, it's like, you, there's always the possibility that, like, one day you could change. Um, and, you know, it's funny things, like, you, I'll tell people stories about, like, what it was like to live in Colorado Springs, like, you know, I forget what year this was in college, but I remember, like, an anonymous box that came to me from Focus on the Family that was full of ex-gay literature. Like, just, like, probably $100 of, like, books and DVDs that just showed up on my doorstep one time. And I was like, there is, like, the gay Gestapo in Colorado Springs that just, Mm. like, sent me this book uh, these books and these resources. And the crazy thing is, is I remember opening those and feeling like care for, and like someone like was out, to like was trying to help me. I look back now and I think, wow, that's like terrifying that there's this level of like, kind of just awareness of what's going on under the surface mm-hmm. in Colorado Springs.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, cause that feels like a huge thing in, in these like ministries or in like these kind of places of where like that's never, it's never on the surface. Yeah. It's never talked about like, like all of this is like this, this vast kind of underground yeah. where, where these conversations are had in hushed, hushed yeah. tones. And like, it's, it's, it's all about like keeping up the appearance though yeah. of straightness of, yeah. of godliness. Like I don't like, I mean, like, because those two things are equated. But... Yeah.
1: And that's the thing is, like, the Navigator is an organization that was founded in the Navy, so there's this really strong military presence that's, that carries through today, and that can be seen in a lot of different things, but, like, one of the things we had in our organization was something called ManFest, which was a men's breakfast where we got together every... ManFest? ManFest. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be into that. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh my God. <laughs> like every Friday morning, I'd have 15 men to my house to make breakfast and to eat pancakes. And then, and everyone would end up playing Mario Kart or some other video game. And like, it's all under this guise of like intentional fellowship. Mm. And it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to like hate on this idea that right. like people can have, like, people should have um, strong relationships. And those can even be wonderfully based in like the sameness of gender. I don't, I don't think that that's wrong, but I think the problem lies in where we assume that there is something that men intrinsically need to know. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's something that happens in the church a lot is there's this belief that like, we need to train men to be good men. We need to train women to be good women. I was like, why don't we just train people to be decent people? Like that mm-hmm. just seems like a better strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, there's a lot to unpack there, and I there's obviously there's tons of pushback on that idea, and I don't really know how to go go about that. But
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so okay, so you're so you're in the navigators, you're in there throughout all college. You start working, you like you continue to yeah. work for them though, like out of college. Yeah, and you're coming to terms more and more yeah. with your sexuality, and some
1: shit starts to go down. Yeah. And I mean, this is, there's, there's again, a lot to unpack that here, but like when you come on staff with an organization, um, like the navigators, they have you fill out what's called the moral questionnaire, Mm -hmm. um, which is essentially like this, I want to say 20 page document where you just like list, like, I don't want to say like, this seems hyperbolic to say like, everything you've ever done wrong (laughs) Um, but Hmm. in some senses like they'll ask you like you know kind of give us the date of the last time you masturbated like give us the date of the last time you looked at internet pornography like give us the date of your last sexual encounter Hmm. um and then like you know give us your um you know history like have you ever experienced same-sex attraction so like there was a lot of sections where i was like you know they were like have you ever had a problem with alcohol? And I, I, you know, I'm like, I can skip over this. And Mm. then I got to that question about same sex attraction. And I looked at that page and I was like, I have so much to write here. Mm. Um, and like, I came under the organization, like fully transparent about who I was, my experience, um, of being uh, at that time, I would call myself a same sex attracted person. And like how this was, I would, you know, I I think I said like my, um, the thorn in my flesh. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to identify something as like, this is it. This is the problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like, you know, everyone knew, but, um, an organization like this. And I think we see this a lot in the American church as a very, I'm going to use the word nefarious. I don't know if that's the right word, a way of talking people out of like uh, talking people into abdicating their own agency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something they said a lot in the navigators is like, hold on to the, vision with a closed fish, but um, leave the location with an open hand. You know, Navigators have uh, campus ministries and uh, military-based ministries, you know, all over the country and in some instances all over the world. So they'd be like, we'll send you wherever we think you need to send. And there's this implicit trust that needs to be there that like, you need to believe that God's favor is upon us, that we're going to place you in accordance with his will. We're going to place you where he is calling you to go. Um, so hold on to the vision, but like, we're going to make the decisions of where you go and why. Mm-hmm. So the navigators were, were pretty sad on me staying at the university of Colorado and Colorado Springs, which is where I went to undergrad and where my brother and sister-in-law worked. And this was a moment um, uh, where I was like, well, hold on, I, I'm not ready to tell you know my family about these things that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really feel like it's my, uh, obligation to do this just because you're telling me to, like, I think this is something I get to decide. And I got so much pushback for that from that. Like mm. that was like a month long fight with the organization. So they were wanting to kind of out you. Oh, 100%. Mm. And, you know, we kind of came to an agreement where, um, I told kind of the next tier of leadership, which is the Rocky mountain regional leader, and he's like, you know, I have a rule. I don't keep the director of campuses in the dark, but I'll make an exception for you. And for further clarification, the only reason they wanted me to stay in you uh, in Colorado Springs was because of the presence of ex-gay ministry and uh, um, therapists that practice reparative therapy in the city itself. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so, did they put you into that then? Um, it was strongly encouraged. And I was in reparative therapy for parts of undergrad. And then um, the navigators themselves have an internal therapy team. Um, and I'm going to use that word l- loosely because just for clarification, these people are not licensed um, like counselors or psychologists. Like these people may have training, but they are not licensed through um, an organization like Dora, so they're not, you know, an LPC, mm-hmm. which licensed professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of them might have that, but they're not practicing under that. It's a, a more of a model of um, you know, biblical biblical counseling.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, is it uh, they kind of mandate you to go? like uh, so that they don't.
1: They, they force don't you. mandate okay. you to. And that's the thing is like. Uh, there is a there is a power dynamic at play. So mandate isn't the right word, but like you know, I'm employed by these people, so my livelihood is dependent on my cooperation what things that they think will be best for me. Mm. Um, so I wasn't mandated to see them, but like highly encouraged in some senses, highly motivated, um, because it, you know, you know, I was part of like my first. Um, you're on staff with them, you know, as an internship. And like kind of is a t- trial period for both you and the organization to see how you like each other and, you know, staff that were, again, I'm going to use the word obstinate in air quotes, like, mm-hmm. or, you know, not great at like following orders or, or whatever, um, you know, aren't asked back. Like they, they don't continue with the organization. So you like, it might not be as explicit as you need to do some of these things, but sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. And even if it isn't like your future with the organization can be online based on how much you exercise, um, you know, the kind of the, not the orders. I I don't know, but the, the the, the direction you're given.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, it's not maybe explicitly said. It's kind of like you do what what, what we say, and yeah. you keep your job.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. So this is where I come back to. This is this kind of theory of like, you know, you, there is a a big portion of like you are abdicating a lot of your own agency when you sign up to be a part of an organization like this because they have practices that they do, and um, it's not so much you know there's there's always going to be variation but like when we had you know we'd have summer training programs like every college organization has Is like you go up and we say this is how you evangelize like we teach you a tool and you go out and do this Mm -hmm. like it's very um kind of cut and dry and there are like protocols and practices that are put in place like every navigator that starts on um on campus freshman year they ha- they're they given what's called the topical memory system hmm. which is 60 verses that you carry around and you know memorize in your first year of college like so there there's not a lot of diversity in the way that these organizations operate on the ground
0: mm-hmm. so you're kind of forced to fit in yeah um so you're you're coming out yeah they
1: know it they do yeah you, do you decide to start coming out? So I, I had a, I had a moral contract when I uh, worked for the organization. Um, and it had a lot of rules about the sort of things I was allowed and wasn't allowed to do. And, you know, so we can get into the obvious like ones, like I wasn't allowed to date men like that. That doesn't seem as as surprising. Right. Mm -hmm. But there were rules about the hours I could spend with students, like the circumstances I could spend with students, like, you know, if I was spending one-on-one time with a male um, staff or uh, like another male staff member out, out of bounds, like that was highly like that was put under a, like a microscopic lens. There's mm. kind of this assumption that like, if you stick one, like if there's a one total line, like you are like this close to like probably marching at a pride parade. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like there's just, which when, ironically we kind uh, of did today, today but, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) but, like, there's kind of this belief that, like, you are just this close to, like, being completely on the outs Mm -hmm. of, like, you know. I think that makes me think of, like, the Billy Graham rule, like,
0: for straight people. It's that that kind of, like, that suspicion of, like, if you are alone with someone and there's any potential of, like, sexual chemistry,
1: then you're, like... Hooking up exactly, like, yeah. and that's that's kind of the belief. So, like, they like I was just felt like felt eyed with such significant um, like suspicion, mm-hmm. like, and this comes into like when I was graduating college, the Nat Readers were launching uh, what was called like their international Edge Core, which is their um, their domestic uh, internship program is called Edge Core, mm-hmm. and they were relaunching their international branch of this, so they was starting campus ministries in um, you know, locations around the world in some sensitive countries. And then there was one they were attempting to launch in Amsterdam. Um, and I was approached, they asked me if I would consider um being a part of that team. Mm. Like in my senior college, I was recruited to be that team. And through the process of them checking in with my references, you know, that opportunity was like snatched right out from under me Mm. because there's this like this fear like we can't put this gay kid in Amsterdam. Like we don't know what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my mentors even told me as such, like, we're concerned about you going here. Mm-hmm. Um, again, cause like, you know, in these organizations, people that don't fit the mold just right are just like almost like high risk, like high liability people for them to employ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you start going to therapy. Yeah. Mistake number one. <laughs> yeah. What happens? So the therapist I saw, like, um, uh, you know, practiced, um, what I'm going to say is a less, um, I, I, I don't even think I can use the word invasive. So when you talk about this, the spectrum of their of, uh, reparative therapy that you talk about, like. Like the kind of reparative therapy that make like literally everyone cr- cringe, like the reparative touch therapy, mm-hmm. which is the idea of like, you know, you as a man didn't experience enough affection from other men, so you will like need to be like physically held by men. So we did what's called healing prayer, which is kind of the idea that there are just the deep lies that you believe about yourself that need to almost be in some senses exercised out through intense Prayer over the duration of, like, hours. Mm. Um, So that is kind of my, uh, you know, kind of intro into reparative therapy, along with, like... um,
0: What did that look like? Like, what did a session look like with healing prayer? uh,
1: It's, like, it's really hard to explain, um, but, like, it's viscerally uncomfortable. Mm. Um, And then it's also like shockingly silent. Um, but you know, it, it, it all like in some senses, it's like you will be praying and the other, and this is my experience. I don't know how all therapists practice this. Is it just a caveat? Mm. It's like, it's almost like if you say something that seems off, the therapist interjects in Mm. and like kind of guides you down this path. And it's like, it's almost like they're kind of, um, watching you dialogue with God in a way that feels very intrusive. <laughs> hmm. So are you like walking back into memories?
0: Like, I mean, I've heard, like I've heard models of this, but like,
1: yeah and, yeah. and again, I think it's probably really dependent on, um, the person that's doing it because it didn't, it just felt like, um, it just felt like saying like, these are the things wrong with me mm. and I need you to like, correct these beliefs i have about myself so it seems like just digging up all these horrible things that you think about yourself naming them and then expecting like through this process of naming them and then saying the things in tandem that are better about yourself that you're supposed to believe or the things maybe not even that because that's probably too generous like the things that are true about god and how (sighs) as a person of uh, like as an adopted son of, God, uh, of Christ that you also embody these things because when God looks at you, he sees the holiness of Christ, the things that are true about you. Did it work? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we'll we'll wait so on that 20 <laughs> <that> year dividend. <laughs> um. I'm I'm waiting for that straight card to come in the mail. <laughs> like, you did it. <laughs> You're straight now. <laughs> You're straight now. <laughs> Your fiancé is waiting for you at 4th Avenue Prez. Your wedding is in 28 days.
0: <laughs> the dream. The dream. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. Um, and, I mean, so, to tie in with that, that's my first experience with uh, repair to therapy, which is actually outside the context of the navigators. Mm. But what led me to therapy with the navigators is when I was first coming out and coming to terms, probably better term, like, cause I wasn't coming out. I was like telling people my secret shame, right? Like I'm attracted to, i, I experience I same sex attractions, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the OG I'm gay for gay Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, I told one of my mentors um, when I was at a summer training program when I was 19 years old. I was like, you know, I have these feelings, and like he, to his part, like tried to help me kind of reason through these theories, this these feelings when I was going through this. Um, And you know, this was, uh, I think, a 23 year old kid, Hmm. like you know, had just graduated college. Actually, hadn't even graduated college yet. Wasn't Qualified to help me do this deep work that I had around like um, trauma from my childhood, like all the trauma of being like repressing my sexuality for so long. And when like, and I don't know, this is, this was very true for me. Like the first person I came out to, like there was this immediate, like emotional bond that was, or because it was like, I finally have a person that I can actually be honest with. Like I've never had this before. Mm -hmm. And I've never been able to talk about like the things that are actually going on in my head before. Mm -hmm. And like I had such a like formed intimacy with this person based on this. And it wasn't like there was nothing sexual or like romantic about this intimacy at all. But this like, like was so like, for him something that I just like saw that it was not, he was not capable of sustaining this and it felt super threatening to him. Hmm. So after the program um, ended, like in all intents and purposes, he ghosted me because I don't think he could cope <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with the support I needed. Um, because like in some instances he was like the only person I had, like he was my only confidant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, as I was coming on staff the organization, you know, I had told this man like four years prior, like like pretty much all everything I was dealing with. And I guess in some senses, like he re-entered my life under the assumption that I hadn't done any work since then, that I hadn't talked to any people. And meanwhile, there's like at least five people at the navigators who know in different levels mm-hmm. what I'm going through that I've been with, like that I've talked to consistently about this. So he Tells my brother in law about uh, about the fact that I'm gay, um,
0: which is what you didn't want,
1: exactly. And like what my campus director had even agreed for me not to have to do. And this is after my first year on staff. Mm. And my brother in law tells my sister because again, and like this, I actually I cannot fault him for like you know for better or worse, this is how it happened. Um, but again, in the kind of this these um like christian models of marriage where like everything between like there's everything is transparent between partners right um and you know my brother-in-law feels betrayed by the organization that he was in the dark because they're violating their own policy right I feel completely betrayed by this person who comes into my life after you know four plus years to just kind of say, "Well, you obviously haven't been doing this, so I need to like hurry this process along." And then the navigators are caught somewhere in the middle because they violated their own policy on my behalf, and they don't. They, there's there's a there's not a lot of room for them to pivot. Mm. So I kind of become a scapegoat, mm. and um I kind of had seen that I had a career trajectory with the navigators that seemed like it was kind of unfolding in front of me, and that just like evaporated overnight. Hmm. And, you know, my contract was commuted to like the one year. Um, I was working for their uh, headquarters office at the time. And it was just like, um, they were or- like the future I thought I had was like gone. Hmm.
0: You were kind of kicked out
1: uh, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and after this, I had started seeing one of the, um, you know, the therapists for their people resources team. Um, and at the same time, Uh, My sister uh, was on staff at the organization, too, and was seeing a therapist at the People Resources team, too. And after we would you know, go in and have our sessions with these people, they would go behind closed doors and cross-chatter with each other. Wow. (laughs) And I remember confronting my therapist about this and being like, you know, I had a moment where I realized you knew something that I didn't tell you. And that feels like a major breach of trust to me. And And, you know, I had put together what was happening at this point. Um, and you know, he said, you know, he kind of encouraged me or exhorted me in the sense of being like, you know, you can think of it as like that people are talking behind your back. Cause that's the language I use, but I would encourage you to see it as like, there's just a lot of people that really care about you, which like just messes with your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Gosh. So. You're, so, I mean, essentially you're kind of being like kicked out of the organization. Yeah,
1: um, and like there were, there's some other reasons. Like, kind of like I didn't come from like a wealthy background, and in these organizations, you exist on like the generosity of your friends and family. Like, that's what it comes down to. You like you're on gift income, um, and I like had not like it didn't matter how hard I tried, like I would never was never able to like accumulate a budget. So my second year on staff, I was more of a salaried role because I was in it more an administrative role um, and was kind of helping the organization do kind of a national rebranding effort. And like, even that, like it, it all just kind of like, like kind of subsided. Mm-hmm. And I was like kind of being moved towards the back door. Yeah. Yeah. And then
0: Exodus shuts down. Yeah. Which we haven't even really talked about that, but like,
1: That's the other thing. Like I'm still in Exodus, still kind of, you know, believing that there could be change. And then that organization like kind of closes its door on me. (laughs) So I think it's like kind of those two are uh, like events in tandem where I was like, you know, I was frustrated that after um, what had happened to me, like after what, everything that unfolded, I knew it wasn't right. Like I knew I was like, this was not handled in a way that was honored to me or like really like even my family, like this was, this was, this was not done well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the way it was presented when I like, when I tell people this and how it was reflected back at me, is like, we, you can, um, you can see it this way, but what's true. Uh, what, like what you're really upset about is like, um, what was in the dark is now in the light. Like they'd be like, you're just, you're just angry that your sin has been exposed. And at the same time, I'm thinking, what do you mean been exposed? Like I, according to your mandate, I did this the way I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. Like I disclosed everything when I came on staff with you. Like nothing was a secret. I told everyone that needed to know. Um, but like, it was still like, I remember like, that was one of the first things that my sister said to me when I came out. It's like, you're just mad that, um, your sins in the light. I was like, uh, I, no, I, I don't know about all that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So Exodus
0: international. Yeah. Alan Chambers comes out and says like 99.9% of the people over the last forty years who've gone through this X-Gator therapy, they haven't changed. Yeah. Which is kind of like, it's kind of a betrayal to you.
1: I, uh, absolutely. But at the same time, at least like, I feel like I, and I know this like, this is an Alan's intention. And I, I can say that now. And Alan
0: was the executive director
1: yeah. is like for, for me, like, like being in Exodus was gaslighting. Like mm-hmm. I remember one of the books I got from, um, uh, in my, you know, mystery box from focus on the family. Like, like in the first chapter, he's like, I had an immediate sub, like subversion of all of my attractions. Like they all went away. On the day my son was born, and I just like looked at that book, and I like I remember even my ex-gay self in that moment like closed that book and literally threw it across the room, <laughs> you know, because I was like, I don't know about all that, yeah. and also just kind of like angry, like ah, oh, should have been me, <laughs> yeah. But you, you you think about like all these other books that kind of presented what like you felt like was a more like attainable straight. <laughs> Like, uh, attainable straight, attainable straight, (laughs) like Joe Dallas would be like, listen, everyone notices when people are attractive. This isn't a straight thing. This isn't a gay thing. You, everyone notices when people are attractive. Um, so like you just need to like rob that noticing of people's attractiveness of its sexual energy, because you shouldn't be doing that to anyone. Mm -hmm. Like you shouldn't be doing that to women. You shouldn't be doing that to men. You shouldn't, you just know. So like, that was kind of the model I was working at. It's like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to, you can appreciate, um, you can like notice people's attractiveness, but like when, when you're attaching this sexual desire to it, that's really the problem. Gosh. So like you went through all of that,
0: you, you kind of were like, you kind of shut the doors on Exodus yeah, and then you like reluctantly started coming out in a way.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's really the thing cuz like my life when I was on staff at the Navigators was I mean really pretty bleak. Like I lived on the campus of the Navigators own in Colorado Springs um in like a converted barn um that had been converted into an office space and like later and I, like my first year on staff I shared a room with three other men. My second year I like I had my own room but like I didn't really have my own space um and like my life was very simple. I was living way below the federal potter poverty line. Like uh, there wasn't oh, like probably a month where my car wasn't completely broken. Um, and I was trying like, you know, I had student loans and I had like no money to my name. Like it was a big deal for me to like go out to to eat like ever. And I was trying to supplement my income by like literally diving through dumpsters, looking for things that I could fix and sell. Like, like I didn't, I didn't have a lot of um, opportunity at that point in my life. Like my life was, was really bare bones. Um, and after all this happened, I was just like, cause I thought, you know, I was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And after all this happens, I'm like, it it felt like a major shift of like, I really need to reevaluate what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what's life like now? I mean, completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Cause this is how many years later. Yeah. And I mean, so we're talking like, this is now like uh, six, six, seven years out. Yeah. Um, of when all this is unfolding. Um, and you know, my life is entirely different. Um, and the way I approach the Bible and, uh, interact with God is completely different. Um, and I'm going to say much more holistic and genuine and, um, uh, like thoughtful. Um, and you know, the relationships I have better, like, uh, are so much, um, more dynamic because when you're in the narrators and this is something I can honestly say that I miss a lot of these organizations, there's this immediate attraction that people feel towards each other. And that comes from this really, um, known sense of group think like I can be in a room or I could have been in a room with 100 other navigators and we could talk about any issue and I would know exactly what they're saying. And there's something really powerful about that level of shared identity, Mm -hmm. but there's also something really um, you know, like just kind of, er there's some, there's a lot of erasure that happens there Um, specifically, you know, with, people of color that are find themselves in organizations, which is why, if you look at the the navigators, like it's a white organization Mm -hmm. is because this, this model doesn't work. Like, you know, I remember every, every summit we'd have for the navigators. They'd talk about like how we needed to be better about, um, reaching people of color. And there'd always be pushback because there wasn't enough education and, and like, you know, like really communication to this group of white folks. Like why, um, I, like this is an example. Um, like, why if you if there was a group of and this literally happened at one of the campuses, a group of Asian American students wanted to take communion with mango juice and rice that it wasn't sinful. It's was like this this white centric Christendom like was so strong. Mm. Gosh, or maybe not even not sinful is the right word, but right. why wasn't like an affront to the symbolism of the Eucharist. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So so now
0: I life is different. It's totally different. And I get it's so like maybe maybe wrap up, like this feels like a hard pivot in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but we do that all the time on this podcast. So um but like in thinking about like where you were then, where you are now, and being the fact that we did just celebrate pride, yeah. which is like
1: so far removed from that world, like what what does pride mean to you? Yeah, I and that's kind of this hard thing, right? Is cause like I remember because I really love talking to protesters at pride. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'll you know be like, so what are you doing here? And like, and like, what's what's kind of your what's what's your issue, man? Like, and usually the response is like, you know, the sin is in the name, like pride. And I'll be like, pride isn't about like boasting on ourselves, but for people that have felt so invisible for so such big portions of their life, like, pride is a place to be seen. Hmm. Um, and it's just like even for people that are in largely queer communities like and existing in their lives like there's not always a lot of seeing that happens of queer people um and it is a it is a reason that like spaces especially for queer people of faith like why spaces like uh qcf and the reformation project are so meaningful is it's rare to be in a space where you feel seen and i think that's really what pride gets at is like it is a place for, for to be seen. And almost in some senses, like, and I, I mean this in the best possible way, ordinary, mm-hmm. like no one, no one's unusual at pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a big gift for people who have felt kind of on the outskirts their entire lives. So um, in some senses, you know, pride itself for me, at least isn't about like boasting themselves, but it's about, you know, really like in some senses, like this kind of wonderful vulnerability of being ordinary, um, uh, with a, with a, a group where it can, what is your normal can be normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, like, I know I just said like wrapping up, but like maybe to truly wrap up, because this, <laughs> this is a question maybe for people who are like in those organizations or like, I know there are people who listen to this podcast who work for those organizations. Yeah. Um, who work
1: for the navigators specifically
0: like, but there are so many of these organizations out there that have similar structures and
1: models. Like what would you say to those people? I mean, I think there is something like really powerful about being subversive in an environment that does not agree with you. Like, so I would never encourage, like, I'm going to give a a good number of caveats here. Like I would never encourage you to leave an organization just because your theology doesn't quite line up with theirs. Because I think that for a lot of these organizations, there are two paths forward. Like they will either change or they will die. Mm. Um, and if you really love an organization and you want to see it change, probably the best way to do that is f- as is p- to be an insider in these organizations. And of course, the caveats are there is like, if you are not able to like, or if you're not able to care for yourself when you're in an organization like that, like, then it is really time, I think, for you to examine, like, is it my time to go? Um, but if you're, if you're in it and you're passionate, like, I think that is a great way to, like, to offer descending dialogue. Like, and this is a really stupid example, <laughs> but I'm, I'm re- I remember, like, my first year on staff, like, as I was always just just a little bit of a liberal. Again, the writing was really on the wall. Like, they're talking about, like, favorite authors and people you really liked and connected with. And, like, I remember there's a moment, like, you hear, like, oh, I really love John Piper. I really love John Piper. I really love Tim Keller. And, like, that's the circle. And then someone gets to me, and I was like, oh, I really resonate with the way uh, Rob Bell speaks about the gospel. <laughs> and it was, like, a, that moment, like, it's just, like, all the air got sucked out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like was very aware that I had said the wrong thing. But it was like, this is an example of like a moment of subversion on something. And this is before Rabel was out as affirming or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Back
0: when Rabel was still even just Yeah. Like yeah,
1: in the, like, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Um so like imagining like that, like if I like being in an organization and being able to be subversive about something so much bigger, like, you know, the navigators have policy, like they can't marry LGBT people. If someone like was on the organizational staff and like said in passing to another person, like, you know, I don't think that's right. Or I don't, I don't know if we should have a rule about that. Like, you know, at the very least, that's going to prompt some significant dialogue, Mm -hmm. which I I can't think is going to be anything other than positive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, this has been so much fun. You can find Jeremiah on Instagram and on Twitter at Maya Stanley, M-I-A-H Stanley. Corology is on Twitter and Instagram at Pod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Chorology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and over 70 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support chorology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support chorology is by leaving a rating or a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com review and we'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all. Bye.
1: Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon.